was also not drinking quite as much as I used to. An accomplishment on two fronts. Sure, looked at from one narrow-minded perspective, I had failed my sobriety. But examined through another less fanatical lens, I had made real progress with my people skills. It seemed therefore reasonable that I should touch base with a therapist. The popularly vague wisdom is that one should choose a therapist based on the recommendation of a trusted friend. But I had no such trusted friend. I had something better. I chose a therapist based on the price of real estate in Manhattan. To me, how bad could a therapist be if he was able to maintain an office along Central Park West with Lauren Bacall and Yoko Ono as neighbors? That late fall afternoon, Central Park was like a snow globe that had been shaken, except instead of white flakes, there were colorful leaves swirling past the lampposts and down along the winding paths. The air was cool and crisp, as if imported from Switzerland. Looking up, I saw the shape of Jackie O in a cloud formation. She was wearing an Hermes scarf around her head and carrying a Crocodile Kelly bag. She was about to be consumed by a giant panda. It occurred to me that I had lived in New York City for 13 years, and yet this was only the third time I had been to Central Park. The other two times were also that week. The first was on Monday, when the cab driver drove me through it on the way to my new therapist in a building just down the street from the Dakota, where, as the old New York joke goes, Rosemary's baby and John Lennon were both shot. My second park experience was an hour later in the taxi home. I paid the fare and stepped out of the cab. A hot dog vendor was at the corner, and I wondered if my shrink got lunch from him. When I went upstairs to his office, I'd see if I could detect faint ketchup stains on the front of his shirt or tie. I made my way to the building and found the cavernous elevator. When I reached the floor, I arrived at a door with four buzzers, each with an engraved brass nameplate. I pushed the buzzer marked Dr. Howard Schwartz, and after a brief pause, the door unlocked. The communal waiting area was composed of utilitarian chairs that were comfortable enough for five minutes and a glass-topped coffee table spread with magazines I didn't even realize were still in print, like Sunset and Ladies Home Journal. A narrow hallway led away from the waiting area, lined with four white doors, each closed. Just as I was sitting down and reaching for a Saturday evening post that could have been, or maybe was, from the 1970s, one of the doors opened, and there was Dr. Schwartz. This was the second time I'd seen him, but I'd forgotten what he looked like. He was so ordinary in appearance, a generic, middle-aged, Caucasian mental health professional, that I wondered if anyone ever recognized him anywhere. I thought he would make the perfect criminal. I nodded and stood, hoping I didn't look insane. He motioned for me to come into his office. The ritual of therapy had begun. His office was completely nondescript, as befitting the man himself. Add a poster of a palm tree, and it could have been a travel agency. 
slide a Texas Instruments calculator onto the desk, and he could be an accountant. If there had been a dildo and a video camera in the room, he could even have passed for an ironic pornographer. It was an utterly conflict-free space. I sat in the brown leather recliner next to the table with a box of tissues on top, and he sat across from me in the black leather recliner. They were identical chairs in different colors. The patient's was brown, I decided, because he or she had not yet reached the degree of self-awareness to occupy the black. So, Dr. Schwartz began, how are things this week? He smiled pleasantly as if we were old friends catching up. I think pretty great, I said, smiling back at him. I picked up where we left off in our last session, which was also our first. He knew that I'd relapsed, but I hadn't yet told him how I'd spent Thanksgiving.